Good evening, dummies. Episode 127, March 29th at 7.35 p.m. It's wonderful to be here. March is almost over. It's pretty quick. It seems like the year is going by really, really fast. I thought we would have Armageddon by now, but alas, we still have a country, at least for now. It's wonderful that you're here. I hope you had a great weekend. I hope it was a fun one. I hope uh, your basketball teams are winning, your hockey teams are winning, as long as you are not a Las Vegas Golden Knights fan. We uh, took three points out of four. I'll take that against the best team in the West. We'll see in the next couple of weeks. But anyway, I have a pretty good show for you tonight. We're going to do two topics tonight. And the first one is about the Suez Canal. I'm sure you've heard that the Suez Canal is hopelessly blocked by a giant cargo ship. And we're going to go into it tonight. What happened? What does it mean? What are they going to do? And uh, how are they going to get that damn thing out of there? And then the next is more of an investigative, investigative, investigation, journalistic investigation, investigative, invest in GameStop. Investigation, I don't know, investigative journalism. That's what it is. Investigative journalism. Took me a second. Uh, I was stalling there. No, not the leader. Anyway, investigative journalism. So I saw a post about Houston, Texas, which is my old stomping grounds, and my heart is still in Texas. And there was this drunk driver who smashed into the back of a constable. I'll go into what a constable is in case you don't know, or if you're not a bloody limey from England. And uh, it upset me. So I started diving into some records, and nobody's really made this up yet, so we'll see. We're not made this up, but... (laughs) That sounds bad. This is not made up. Nobody has made these comments yet, especially any investigative journalists. So I'm going to do it, and hopefully somebody sees it, and they shine a spotlight on this wonderful judge who deserves to be in the spotlight. Folks, that is what we're going to be doing tonight, and I hope you stick around. Uh, Where was the captain sent after he hit another ship intentionally? Anchor management. from an undisclosed location always honest always direct so sit back relax don't unfriend me starts right now welcome again dumb nation wonderful to have you i am extremely stoked to be here tonight uh, I'm matching. I've got my uh, Reagan Bush 1984. I've got my my cousins and uncle and aunt's uh, uh, trophy shop, which if you're in California and need some trophies, if you're anywhere, you can probably, they'll ship it to you too. I just had a great one made for Valor. Raymond's Trophy Shop, Bakersfield, California. Do them a solid. They've also got a podcast, which I'll link both of my cousins to. Uh, one is, did I cross the line? And then, oh, I can't remember the other one, but it's my... Uh, Cousin Joe's about alcohol, which probably would outsell my show. So I'll link them both to you in the comments, and you can go give them a listen. They're good people, funny, and they've got the Spear and Raymond blood, which is always fantastic. Enough of that. Who the hell am I? Folks, my name is Matt Spear. I am not that. That's not it. This this is it's going to be a night. Matt Spear from Don't Unfriend Me. What do we do here? Well, we do quite a few different things, but first, those are all my call signs, my tags. You can go right here. That's my YouTube 
link and also that little red envelope down there is on YouTube. You can click and subscribe. And then you can also visit all those call signs and tag me and say hello and tell me how you're doing and tell me what you think of my social media pages. And you can also go to the one, the only don't unfriend me.com. Stop by. You can listen to all you, the podcasts, the videos, everything else that we do. And once in a while, I will make a few comments on there. So stop by and enjoy that. What are we doing tonight? Well, first, before we go into it, I promise you a couple things. One is that you may be offended. You may not be offended. You may agree or you may disagree. All I ask is that when you watch this show is don't unfriend me. I have a second ask if I could, and it's pretty simple. If it doesn't concern you or it doesn't describe you, don't apply it to you. I can't tell you how many episodes where people come on and they get really offended and go, I'm a Democrat. How dare you trash on Democrats? Stick around. I'll trash on Republicans too. But most assuredly, you will be offended at some point, and you have to ask yourself the question, why am I raising to this occasion? Why am I raising to this bait? Is it really about me? Does Matt know me? And, and I don't. I don't know any people who are the 13,000 that follow me. In fact, we talk once in a while, and we might trade barbs, or we might say hello, but I don't know you. Please don't apply it to you. Not all Democrats are the same, and not all Republicans are the same. And, and, and let's you be known, we're all like thumbprints. We're very different. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that I have the ability to judge everyone as I sit upon Mount Sinai. Please don't take it that way. If it's about you, great. If you disagree, tell me why. If it's not about you and you still have an opinion, that's cool too. That's what this show is about and that is what we do. And don't unfriend me. So let's get into it with no further ado. I can't imagine anyone's going to have a problem with this unless they are into maritime shipping law. And if you are into maritime shipping law, I apologize ahead of time. The Suez Canal is an artificial sea level waterway in Egypt connecting the Med, Med Sea and the Red Sea through the Isthmus of Suez and dividing Africa and Asia, constructed between 1859 and 1869 by the Suez Canal, uh, Canal Company, formed by Ferdinand de Lesseps. In 1858, it officially opened on the 17th of November, 1869. I've been through the Suez Canal twice. It is actually like performing brain surgery, as I heard from the captain. You have never heard a quarter deck. You have never heard a a rudder room, a captain's room, um, the deck, anywhere as quiet as when you go over the Suez. It's not like it's super dangerous. It can just destroy careers. And if you run aground on that small space of the Suez Canal with a billion dollar, couple billion dollar aircraft carrier or destroyer or frigate or Arleigh Burke destroyer class or whatever you're running through there, even a convoy ship or an oil rig, most surely you will be in trouble as a captain. You might as well go play and club a baby seal in the Exxon Valdez and go play with the icebergs. But folks, trust me, this is a massive thoroughfare. And without it, everyone has to go down through Africa. And it is an extremely long journey anyway from Europe to these areas or Asia or South uh, or Africa. Going all the way down to the bottom and coming through, even from the Middle East, is extremely costly. And most of these ships would not brave the journey, especially in certain times of the year. So the point is, is the Suez is an amazing uh, piece of architecture. And when it shuts down, the world trade and throughfare shuts down as well. The container ship in question is a monstrosity of a ship. This is the Ever Given. 
as its name, as it ever gives us a pain in the royal ass as we try to figure out how to get these 327 ships and counting through there. As seen from the banks of the Suez Canal on March 28th, the saga of the world's most famous stuck ship, the Ever Given, is approaching its second week after ongoing attempts to dislodge the massive Empire State Building length container ship. Let me say that again. The Empire State Building length container ship, which blocked off the Suez Canal in Egypt when it ran aground diagonally on March 23rd. I'll have a picture right here for you. They have yet to succeed in refloating and freeing it. Below are the latest updates on the ordeal, which I will go over with you. The economic impact of cutting off one of the world's busiest shipping lanes and what might come next. Will the rising tide lift this boat? That's the ongoing hope. The Associated Press explained on Sunday, workers plan to make two attempts Sunday to free the vessel, coinciding with high tides, helped by a full moon Sunday night. A top pilot with the Canal Authority said the full moon offers a spring tide or king tide in which high tides are higher and the low tides are lower. Hold on a second. Where did this guy get his degree? I have never heard such eloquent words before in such rhythmic equation that penetrate my cerebral in which high tides are higher and the low tides are lower. I'm sure there's a song, green grass and high tides forever and low tides are lower. Because of the effects of gravity, oh, we're going to hear about gravity from this guy. Because of the effects of gravity during a straight line alignment of the earth, the moon, and the sun, two more tugboats arrived on the scene Sunday. The peak high tide will occur a little before midnight local time tonight. Egypt Ready's weight loss scheme and they are going to, in the Egyptian president, Abdel Fattah el-Sassi, has reportedly ordered the Suez Canal Authority to come up with a plan for removing some of more than 18,000 containers off the Ever Given should efforts to refloat the ship, which it will, like Sunday's high tide maneuvers, continue to fail. That would serve to lighten the load. Beyond other efforts to do so, like emptying the ship's ballast and fuel tank, possibly making the ship easier to dislodge. Removing the cargo would not be easy, however, since there are no cranes nearby tall enough to reach the top of the container. Authorities would most likely need to use big helicopters to take the containers off one by one. That wouldn't work for all of the containers either, just the ones light enough to be safely carried away by whatever helos can be made available for the effort. The Wall Street Journal suggests tandem rotor Chinook CH-47s, thank God for the Wall Street Journal, could be used, but as Aerotime Hub noted last week, though, that the CH-47 is a world-renowned heavy-lift workhorse, it can only handle loads of less than 11,000 pounds, 10,886 to be exact, and that's kilograms, not pounds, that's a mistake from the paper, which likely wouldn't cut it for much of the Ever Given's cargo. While the exact number of cargo the Ever Given carries is not published, including probably hundreds of people who are being smuggled and no longer living, its capacity is over 20,000 20-foot-long, 6.1-meter intermodel containers. Although in its current configuration, as photos of the vessel show right here, the ship is mostly loaded with double-sized, 40-foot-long, 12.2-meter containers, One empty 40-foot-long container weighs 2,400 kilograms. For those of you who haven't done the math, that's 5,290 pounds. That's a heavy. 
and can fit a maximum of 28.8 kilos, which is 61,910 pounds. That's 28,800 kilos. This newspaper needs to get better at what they do. Of cargo for a total maximum gross weight of a whopping 30,480 kilograms or 67,200 pounds. It weighs as much as the Empire State Building. I'm just kidding. While there is a high chance not all of the Ever Given's containers are filled to the brim, we're just going to give an Ever Given chance that logistics companies typically try to maximize the load of their containers like they do when you go ahead and board an airplane, shove it full as possible, and then go ahead and stick the rest in the underbelly. As shipping empty space is not exactly cost-efficient. Also, from the photos, it appears the ship sits very close to its waterline, meaning that it carries almost as much as it possibly can. The heaviest load any currently operating helicopter in the world can lift is 20,000 kilograms. That is a Russian mill MI-26. The most any U.S. military hel helicopter can lift is 16,329 kilograms, which is the Sikorsky CH-53 King Stallion. I have a picture of it here. The other option, Aerotime Hub explains, would be using mobile crane barges, but it's not clear when those could be made available or how safe they would be to deploy in this specific situation, including do they have enough room to maneuver. It's in there like a sardine. Offloading the Ever Given's cargo by any means could also destabilize the ship or even break it in half. As BBC News points out, experts say that should the weight not be removed from the ship evenly, it could create a catastrophic imbalance similar to an airplane when they have us move to the front or the back or the middle to balance the plane. Not the Ever Given's first accident, also. The Wall Street Journal notes that the 1,300-foot Ever Given hit a moored 75-foot pleasure ferry in Germany in 2019. I want to know what a pleasure ferry is. <laughs> Though a subsequent criminal probe did not uncover any wrongdoing, the investigation found no misconduct and determined the captain of the container ship had been caught by surprised winds. Well, that's what they're saying here. Its slow speed had limited his ability to maneuver the ship away from the river's banks. The probe found it couldn't be learned if the current captain of the ship is the same as the one who was investigated in Germany. As is standard procedure for any ships traversing the Suez Canal, local Egyptian crew took over the steering and ever given through the canal last week. Desperately seeking detours at this point, as of Sunday morning, more than 320 ships were stuck at either end of the Suez. That's 327 now. Canal waiting for the situation to be resolved so, they, so that they could travel through. Meanwhile, the shipping giant, the Marsk, has already redirected 15 ships around the Cape of Good Hope at the southern tip of Africa to avoid the blockage, and it has warned its customers that it could take as many as six days to clear its backlog of 32 vessels and counting at the canal, including three anchored inside. The world's number two shipping giant, Mediterranean Shipping Company, has redirected 11 ships around the Cape, and Hapag Lloyd AG has redirected six of its vessels. As the Wall Street Journal reported Sunday, the shipping industry is scrambling to adjust. Shipping executives said even if the vessel is removed imminently, a backlog of ships waiting to pass through the canal would linger for days, and diversions of cargo could wreak havoc on port traffic around the world for weeks, upsetting the usually careful orchestrated management of the world's containers. The canal connects the Mediterranean Red Seas, as I said earlier, and accounts for as much as 13% of seaborne trade and about 10% of maritime shipments of oil. Rerouting away from the Suez Canal intensified over the weekend as more shippers lost hopes of quick resolution. 
Initial diversions around the waterway involved containered ships and tankers that were still far away, typically sailing in the Atlantic on their way to the Gibraltar and to the Med. But now container ships that are nearing the Red Sea also are abruptly changing course to go south around Africa. That will delay the arrivals in Europe by up to two weeks and incur extra costs of as much as half a million dollars. The diversions also threaten major port congestion in big ports in Europe and Asia as all those diverted ships arrive late. 27,000 cubic meters of sand and shifting. As of Sunday, Egyptian authorities report that they have already shifted 27,000 cubic meters of sand to a depth of 18 meters. That's a lot. (sighs) In an effort to dislodge the ship via dredging, a team of U.S. Navy dredging experts was expected to join the effort over the weekend, 100 feet of progress on Saturday after successfully digging out the Ever Given's rudder. On Friday, tugboats working to free the Ever Given were successful in moving the ship two degrees, about 100 feet by late Saturday, though the New York Times reports the bow remains firmly planted in the soil and that the operation still faced significant hurdles. Syria begins oil rationing, and the Syrian Arab News Agency reported Saturday that with no sure end in sight for the blockage of the canal, Canal, Syria's government has begun rationing its oil supply to ensure their vital availability for the longest possible time. Now, the thing is about this is that they're saying that it was high winds that were blowing off. And I can attest that the Suez actually is windy, and as most deserts are, they are extremely flat. But it comes off the dunes, comes off the ocean, convection happens in the late afternoon, and you get these horrible winds and sandstorms. The problem with that is that there's two things that are happening. Either the ship is too big or the ship is too big. That's really what it comes down to. If you're going to dredge through the sediment under the Suez Canal, it's about 79 feet deep. I wasn't kidding when I said my captain said it was like going through brain surgery, trying to bring a vessel through there. And considering that they only had 100 feet or so, 140 feet on each side, any mistake or any shift would absolutely be a catastrophe, which we have here. It's obvious that under its own power, it probably would have done even more damage. But considering it was lined by tugs that were moving it through and had guides on the back and the front to ensure it stayed on line, there really is nothing to stop a vessel of that size, and it's not going to stop it unless it hits something like ground or an edge. If it was on the open sea, it would continue to drift for hours. The thing about it is it is stuck, and it is stuck hard. And it's at an angle. It reminds me of Austin Powers when he's escaping Dr. Evil's castle in that little go-kart and keeps hitting as he reverses and forwards, reverses and forwards. Ultimately, if they unload this thing safely, they're also going to have to worry about pirates. Up and down the Suez Canal, there are indeed pirates who are modern-day pirates. They work on, not in the water, but they work on the land. And what they will do is they will attack those goods and obviously hit those areas. And there will be so much security forces will have to be uh, brought in. This whole thing is a big mess, and what it comes down to is what I alluded to earlier. The vessel is too big. I'm going to show you a comparison contrast between an aircraft carrier and the USS Enterprise, which we went through in the Suez, and go ahead and compare this vessel. This thing has a high profile. Not only is it long, like the Empire State Building, it is extremely tall. And if it was at its waterline, it means that it was overloaded. So any diversion to the left or to the right would have created 
this grounding. I think what they're going to find is that there most indeed was wins, but this is also neglect from the shippers and packing this and nobody checking the weight and the water line before it came in simply because this is a very busy time for the Suez. Winter has cleared. People are in spring, more clothes, more commodities, more imports, exports. All of these things create more traffic. How are they going to get it out? I don't know. I'm interested to see it. I'm going to eat my popcorn and I'm going to watch it with you because honestly, uh, I don't know. Maybe some C4 and some grease. I have no idea. Good luck. Moving into the suspected drunk driver who crashed into a constable. A constable in Houston is just like police officer, sheriff, and constables work a little bit differently. They're predominantly in the South. Most constables run a certain sector or an area, and they represent, they're allowed to hire deputies and everything else, and it works just like the sheriffs, basically, but it is um, really not that much different. The suspected drunk driver who crashed into the constable's patrol car was drunk and was arrested, and the back of the vehicle was absolutely just destroyed. The problem that came up about this and you may have heard you may have not and i wouldn't be surprised if you didn't is that he was released on a 100 bond on march 27th 2021 a deputy with constable mark herman's office was monitoring traffic in the 18900 block of state highway 249 along the shoulder of the roadway when the deputy's marked patrol vehicle was struck by another vehicle i know right where this is at i've passed it a hundred times the driver was identified and displayed several signs of intoxication. Standardized field sobriety tests were administered, and it was discovered that he was driving while intoxicated. Go figure. Further investigation revealed that he had five open warrants out for his arrest. I couldn't dive into what those warrants were, but I will find out and follow back up. I'm sure drunk driving has to be one of them. The injury, injured deputy was transported to a local hospital and is expected to make a full recovery, which is a blessing considering the damage that you see here. The suspect was arrested and booked into the Harris County Jail, charged with driving while intoxicated. His bond was set at $100 out of the county court 12. Constable Mark Herman posted this on Facebook, and uh, he represents Precinct 4. So when I read this, I my inquisitive mind, first thing I thought of, well, why was it so low? A damage to a police vehicle had to be a lot more than that, plus it's drunk driving, plus he has five warrants out, which means they were bench warrants or they were active warrants. And was it a felony? Was it misdemeanor? Was it parking tickets? What was it? Well, I would assume that in something that was almost a fatality and when an officer is hurt, in my opinion, I consider that to be manslaughter. This man should have been held at a much higher point than a $100 bond. It's ridiculous. In fact, you don't even take somebody into prison for that low of a bond. So I started diving into this judge. And what I realized when I first started thinking about it is I said, I wonder what the politics are of this. Is this judge possibly, does she have a history or he have a history of bias? What are their personal politics? What are their court decisions? And I found this article, which I think you'll find extremely telling. You have a judge that releases somebody on a $100 bond, which is absolutely negligible, and people should be calling for her head. I'm telling you, it is a her now. But if I go into past history, and she's only been around since February of 2020, her predecessor was removed from office because she died, and then she was assigned to take her place. This woman is an avid BLM supporter. She is 
extremely pro BLM seems to have a history of telling cops to go to hell. And I think it's important because once again, personal politics play into decisions, especially in the public's eye. I don't think it's as important that she's a Democrat. I think it's the important that she stands up against the police department and supports BLM and thinks that the police are not necessarily people you should respect. I have two cases of that. One is the $100 bond for a deputy who is in the hospital in a smashed car from a drunk driver. And then this case, Harris County judge scolded prosecutors and she said that they misrepresented discussions about a man charged in the deaths of three people in a crash, another crash. Judge Genesis Draper, which is here as her picture, hauled Sean Tier, the vehicular crimes chief, for the district attorney's office, and his picture's here, and prosecutor Dan Malik into criminal court at law number 12. I don't have a picture of Dan Malik, even though I saw his criminal uh, criminal court license and attorney's license, but no picture. I pro- He probably put it, took him down after what she did to him. Monday morning to ask who they informed in January about receiving an anonymous tip that the suspect in this crash who caused the crash, Gregory Allen Smith, charged in the deaths of three people during the February 5th crash in Spring, which is a suburb of Houston, and that they warned that he was using drugs again. She was the overseeing judge on the case who set his probation, set his bail, and everything else, and proceeded over the case. Authorities say Smith was high on PCP when he drove through two red lights near Antoine Drive and North Sam Houston Parkway and crashed into two cars. Padad Romero and Diana Soriano Escobar and Soriano Escobar's three-month-old son, Ricardo Daniel Escobar Jr., all died in the wreck after their van caught fire. This wreck was some time before the deputy was hit. They were among the five killed in alcohol or drug-related crashes in the past week. Smith, who faces three counts of intoxication manslaughter stemming from the wreck, was not in court for the hearing. He remains hospitalized at Ben Taub for a broken leg and shoulder pain. Tier said. He is slated Friday to return to court. The suspect in the triple fatal wreck remains hospitalized, as we said, more charges loom. By then, prosecutors hope to know where Smith was in the 24 hours before Northeast Harris County crash. Smith's, Smith's lawyer, Brian Savoy, did not respond to a request for comment. Smith could well face additional charges to an already lengthy criminal history, Tier said, as investigators look into whether he had permission to drive the car in the crash. Smith and his passenger, Daryl Mitchell Taylor, 25, were not the registered owners. The owner of the car has been contacted, Tier said. Mitchell Taylor is unlikely to face charges in connection to the crash. At the time of Smith's arrest, he was on bond for another DWI arrest from July. He received a personal recognizance bond, Personal recognizance bond. Again, not $100. Maybe one day we'll get to 1000 With requirements that he submit to random drug testing and not use drugs, he was also facing a separate charge for assaulting a public servant, a police officer, for which he posted a $10,000 cash bond. $10,000 for assault on a police officer? $100 for ramming a car? Are we seeing a pattern here with this judge? Houston is ground zero for drunken and drugged driving. Prosecutors on Friday told the Chronicle they had tried to alert two judges, including Draper. Two judges, including Draper, a week before the crash that they had received an anonymous tip, Smith was using drugs again. But in Monday's court hearing, Draper 
said she had not learned about their comments until February 6th, the day after the fatal crash, at a hearing on a motion to revoke Smith's bond. She says, quote, who is claiming they made me aware of anything about the allegations on the 30th or 31st, she said, visibly frustrated. What I want to make clear, because this has been very misrepresented, this court was not given that information until the motion to revoke was filed February 6th. Under questioning, Malik, the line prosecutor, said he had notified a court employee he needed to speak with Draper about Smith potentially violating his bond conditions, but acknowledged he had never actually spoken to the judge. Draper said that if prosecutors had concerns, they could have notified her and she could have called Smith's defense attorney in for a hearing, but noted prosecutors had not tried to raise the issue in the days after they received their tip. Quote, if you all have information that you think is relevant to public safety, alert the court, she said. The actual court, me. Moments later, Tear asked Draper if she had access or seen copy of Smith's pretrial drug testing. Draper replied that she had not and that Tear would have to get that information from Harris County Pretrial Services. Good luck, she said in reply. Here's the thing. If a police officer is involved in a vehicular accident, accident while they are performing their duties and there was malfeasance involved alcohol drugs neglect texting while driving that person should be in jail period drunk driving is a serious thing and i'm not going to tell you that i haven't had a few pops and drove and got behind the wheel i have i'm not going to lie in my youth i was stupid and most men will tell you that they've done it the problem is is that if i get caught or if I get in an accident, or I take out a family, I absolutely should be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law, and I would have, and I should have. I seriously doubt, looking back on Judge Genesis, 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 whatever, looking back at her court cases, there is an absolute delineation between her discrepancies and the way she judges against whites and blacks. Now, I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen every day in reverse, that white judges do the exact same thing. They do. But it was wrong when they did it, and it should be wrong when she does it. Bringing in personal politics against police officers is absolutely uncalled for. And these are two very strong cases that are far apart, where one is accusing her of impropriety in her first months on the job, which wouldn't surprise me in any way, shape, or form, that the standard practice was probably to call administrative assistance. If I need to get a hold of a judge in any court cases when I had to go to court, I would leave it to the county clerk's office or I'd leave it to an administrative assistant or I would go to the arresting officer, whatever it took. And then they would notify the judge. Not anyone that I know of has the personal phone number of a judge, especially on the cases that they weren't involved in. But maybe I'm wrong. Let's assume they did. The point is, why is a judge airing dirty laundry? Why is she actually throwing prosecutors under the bus who work for the state? Why wouldn't she go ahead and take that to private chambers? Because she's unprofessional and she wants to save face because she's new on the job. And now this is twice that she has actually ruled in favor of the criminal and not the police. This is what has been going on in courts all across the United States, whether it's the district courts in California or New York who went after Trump and were obviously political. Our federal system is corrupt to the hilt. We know that. And our states are absolutely there, too. And now it's infecting our cities. Folks, you remember this in Harris County when you vote. When you actually have to go to the voting booth in two years, remember this. This is what Democrats do. This is who they are in line with. 
It's their constituents, which are absolutely a part of them, not all of them, are criminals. There is no doubt about it. Not only that, but they get special treatment too. And we sit here and hear this trope that it's always white people who get the special treatment. That is not the case. I can show you hundreds of cases just like this one where the new liberal judges who are coming in are actually playing the exact thing that they accused white people of doing for so many years. Both of them are equally wrong. Both of them need to stop. But the big thing is, is can we stop pretending that it's not happening on both sides? Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Look into this case. Let's follow it together. Let me know what you think. Let me know. Go on her page. It's very interesting. I went on her Facebook page. I have never seen a judge be so involved in things that most judges would never get involved in. I guess I'm not done. Judges are supposed to be impartial. Judges are supposed to actually have a blindfold on and allow the law editorializing or making judgment without fact against supposition against having some sort of cynical belief towards police officers is not the way to practice law. I understand people will listen to this and say, oh, well, come on, Matt, this is one or two cases. It's not. It's an epidemic. It's an epidemic that happens on both sides. And whether you have race in it or not, it's wrong, plain and simple. Folks, thank you for joining me tonight. Please do me a favor, like, share, and subscribe. If you could do that, I would appreciate it. You can do that right here. I will be back Tuesday night for another episode. But before I kick off, I want to talk about the Veteran Crisis Hotline. 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. 22 veterans commit suicide a day. It is too many. If you can't reach out to that vet and get them help, please reach out to me. I will do it with you. Or you can go on to don'tunfriendme.com. Click the link and you'll be connected to a Veteran Crisis Hotline Operator. If you are a civilian, they will find the right place for you too. They turn nobody away. Remember, traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, anxiety and depression are all real and veterans are suffering and they need your help please make that phone call today once again thank you so much we're shooting the commercial tomorrow i cannot wait to show it to you folks i think it is going to be an amazing commercial for our company but more importantly bring a lot of attention to pts traumatic brain injury and our buddy will who you've heard a lot about is actually going to be in this commercial and we're so very excited to shoot it we have a great company that's helping us produce it uh, I wrote the script with uh, another company, and it's it's just going to be awesome. So Brian's going to be there. We're going to have a good time, and I'll let you know how it went tomorrow. Thank you, dummies, for standing by, and I will see you Tuesday. Have a good night.